May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we need to hear. Sports teams have their rally cries, don't they? Especially college teams. We've got Roll Tide from Alabama. We've got Texas A&M. Their, their battle cry is Gig'em. I tried to find Iowa's. Is it, is, it just, is it just fight on Iowa or something like that? I think it's something real simple like that. Uh, Purdue, their, their battle cry is Boiler Up. Arizona must be the Bears because they're the same as that NFL team, Bear Down. But my favorite two are Texas Christian University Horned Frogs. Their, their uh, battle cry is Fear the Frog. Doesn't that just strike fear in your heart? A frog. <laughs> and then the Arizona Razorbacks. Woo, pig, suey. That's their battle cry. That must be fun at a football game. Well, in our scripture lesson today, Paul, I think it, it seems like he needs to, he's writing a letter and he needs to rally the troops. He needs to rally the believers at the church in Philippi to stand firm in their faith because they're facing some, some difficult times. The church is being persecuted. There's some conflict and, and some arguments and disagreements within the church. Uh, there's a problem with some false teachers that some are beginning to listen to. And lots of problems that could, could destroy this, this new congregation. They're, they haven't been around for long, and he feels like he needs to tell them something to give them a rallying cry to, to motivate them and to give them the tools to help them hold on to their faith. And here it is. He says, My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. In this way, dear friends, stand firm in the Lord. It was a challenge to the Philippian church 2,000 years ago, and it's a challenge to us today to stand firm in the Lord. There's a pastor who's one of my favorite preachers whose name is Fred Craddock. And Fred tells the story of being invited to, a, to preach at a little rural church many years ago. And he says that when he walked in the door of the church, he saw the strangest thing hanging behind the pulpit. It wasn't a cross. It wasn't any kind of a religious symbol of any sort. But instead, there was a picture of an English bulldog and a caption under the bulldog said, Get a bulldog grip on your faith. That pastor obviously was a sports nut. But I think Paul would agree. Get a bulldog grip on your faith. That's exactly what he's telling the believers at the Philippian church to do. And it's the same advice that he gave that church that is still good for us today, I believe. There are three tools that, God, that Paul gives us here to stand firm in our faith, no matter what challenges we might face. First of all, get connected. Get connected with other, believer, with other believers, with people who are, who are people of faith as well. Find strength, find support in a community a community of people, a church, people who are trying to live to follow Jesus as best they can, whether it's this church or another church, be part of a church community. 
get connected. He says in Philippians 3.17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, do you know somebody that seems to live a good life? Do you know somebody who is sort of a model for a good example for you and for others? Then live kind of like they do. Follow their example, and then be an example yourself. That's why Jesus called his followers to form a church, people who model the love of God in their lives, in their community. We need each other. We especially need each other these days. No believer can do it by themselves. We need a community that supports us in the good times and in the bad times accepts us for who we are and who models good behavior for us to imitate. When a new subdivision is under construction, at the entrance of the subdivision, the builders will usually build two or three homes, which they'll call model homes. Those homes will be available when the, when the subdivision is finished to purchase, but they're built initially to build some and create some trust in the builder's vision and in the builder's skills. That's why they're the first homes that you see when you drive into the subdivision. The rest of the land might be mud. There may be nothing. There may be some curb. There may be a, a, a few pipes or, or some building material here and there. But other than that, it doesn't look like much. But if you look at those model homes, you see that the builders have a plan to make this into a beautiful neighborhood, to build more beautiful homes at the, the, that are similar to the ones at the front of the subdivision. So people will be comfortable to purchase a piece of that land, a piece of that subdivision, and sign a contract and, and build a home there. What looks like a mess right now will soon be a beautiful home that they can live in in a very nice neighborhood. I would suggest that God places demonstration or model people in our lives to serve as an example of what a good life looks like. If you look around here in this church, you will see many good examples of how life ought to be lived. You'll see people who have priorities in life that are the right priorities. They believe that family and friends and God are the most important things in this life. These people will help us by watching their examples and by following them. They remind us that their character strengthens his church and keeps, keeps us focused on how we ought to live. They remind us that God has planned for us a great life if we trust God and if we care for other people. And we see a lot of that going on in this church. And if you look around, there's a lot of it going on in this community. Our people are very generous. When there's a need, the need is usually always met one way or another. Paul writes, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. That's his per first piece of advice for standing firm 
in the faith. Get connected with others, with other believers. Second thing we're advised to do is remember where our citizenship is. I think we forget this all too often. Our citizenship is not here on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. For as I have often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Arnie read for us. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been my observation that we are becoming more and more a society that has lost its focus on spirituality, anything to do with following God. A famous French philosopher put it this way. He said, we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. That makes a lot of sense. I hope you heard that. We are physical. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. To be a spiritual person might mean to live in tune with God's heart and with God's mind. What would that look like? Well, it would look a lot like the lives of many around us. A life overflowing with fruits of the Spirit, the ones that are listed in the book of Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It would look a lot like what we saw in the life of Jesus. Jesus faced huge challenges, stress and sorrow in his lifetime. The Apostle Paul did too, but they, neither one of them were overwhelmed. They relied on God's strength and God's wisdom and God's power to help them move ahead with joy. Knowing that our citizenship in, is in heaven gives us great hope because this world gets just a little bit overwhelming at times, doesn't it? But when we think of where we're really citizens. It means that we are spiritual beings guided by a God who offers us spiritual resources for overcoming our circumstances. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that not always will we know and have all the answers, but always God will be there for us. In 2014, a group of Navy SEALs in training were entering an especially tough week of conditioning. And they went for days without, with almost no sleep. They went through physical challenges of all types. And then on Wednesday of that week, the trainees went down to the mudflats, which is a swampy area between San Diego and Tijuana. And they would be spending the next 15 hours, their commanders told them, in ice-cold mud up to their necks. Doesn't that sound like fun? Up to their necks in ice-cold mud. But there was a way out. The instructors told them that if five of them, just five people from the group, would drop out, then all of them could get out. Just five needed to give up for all of them to escape this long night of pain. Then something amazing happened. One of the trainees began to sing, and then another joined in, and then another. 
The instructors threatened them with more time in the mud if they didn't stop singing. But they kept on singing. And they made it through. Every one of them. One of them later said, we knew that if one of us could rise above the misery, then so could the rest. If I have learned anything in my time, it is the power of hope. Remembering that our citizenship is in heaven helps us to rise above the difficulties that come in this life, to rise above what might be happening right now. It gives us hope that we can stand firm in the Lord when we are tempted to give up. We stand firm by being connected to one another. We stand firm by remembering that this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. And then finally, we stand firm in the Lord because we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But our citizenship is in heaven, Paul said, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. That's the ultimate source of our hope. The greatest motivation to stand firm in the Lord, he has promised to come back as our Messiah. We will see him as he truly is. What changes our, it changes our waiting into a time with purpose, a time of joy, a time of hope, because Jesus promises eternity with him and with all his other children. In June of 1965, Six teenage boys from the island of Tonga skipped school to go sailing on the Pacific Ocean. They got caught in a storm and shipwrecked on the deserted island of Ata. This is a story that could have had a tragic ending, but it did not. In September of 1966, more than a year later, the captain of a little fishing boat sailed near the island and saw the six boys, and they were all alive and well. The boys' families had already given up. They had already held funerals for them, and they thought they would never see them alive again. They called the rescue a miracle. But how did six teenagers survive for more than a year on a deserted island? These boys set up a system of work and a system of rules. They started and they ended each day with a song and a prayer. They paired up into work teams, and they put together a chore list so that everybody had certain duties to do and was expected to do them. They hollowed out tree trunks to collect rainwater. They foraged for food. And when they found, out, found the food that was good, they planted more, made a garden for themselves. They created their own recreation area with a badminton court and homemade weights. They set up a fire and they took turns watching over the fire so that it never went out. When one of the boys fell off a cliff and broke his leg, the rest of the boys brought him back and set and splinted the broken bone and took over his chores while he healed. The boys were determined to work together, support one another, and keep the faith until somebody came to rescue them. That sounds a lot like a small Christian community after the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't it? Even though they were persecuted and they lived through a lot of difficulty, they never lost hope. Why? Because Jesus assured them that he would return. 
And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit would be present with them. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. The Apostle Paul probably wrote these words from prison. He'd lost his cushy position, his place in society when he became a follower of Jesus. We all know the story of how Saul converted to Paul the Apostle. He'd been beaten. He'd been jailed. He'd been harassed many times for preaching the gospel, telling the good news about Jesus. It was only a matter of time, and he knew it, before someone would kill him. He knew what was coming, but he stood firm in the faith. And he was joyful until the end. His letters seemed to indicate that. And his advice written 2,000 years ago is just as relevant for us today. God has given us tools to stand firm in the Lord no matter what is happening. Get connected with the community of believers if you aren't already. Remember that your citizenship is in heaven and eagerly await the coming of Christ. God is faithful to his promises and will give us the strength we need to stand firm until the day when we see Jesus face to face. Amen.